welcome to Ben Ben's Storytime, a podcast where I tell stories to listeners. In today's episode, I'll continue on my Greek mythology series where I left off. We're going to get a little salty with Poseidon. So join me as I hop in. Poseidon gets salty. Now, here's another Greek god that's one of my favorites. So I may be a little bit biased, but... Poseidon has awesome powers, and a pretty laid-back attitude. At least most of the time. He is amazingly cool, considering how hard it was for him as a young god. He was the middle boy. He was always being compared to his brothers, like, Oh wow, you're almost as handsome as Zeus. You're almost as powerful as Zeus. Or sometimes, well hey, at least you're not as much of a loser as Hades. And you know, comments like that can really grate on a guy after a few centuries. Back when Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades threw dice to divide up the world, Poseidon got the second best role. He had to accept his brother Zeus as becoming lord of the universe and telling him what to do for all eternity. But Poseidon didn't complain. He'd won the sea. And that was fine with him. He liked the beach. He liked swimming. He liked seafood. Sure, Poseidon wasn't as flashy or as powerful as Zeus. He didn't have lightning bolts, which were like the nuclear arsenal of Mount Olympus. But Poseidon did have his magical trident. He could stir up hurricanes, summon tidal waves, and make a mean smoothie. Since the sea is wrapped around the earth, Poseidon could also cause earthquakes. If he was in a bad mood, he could level whole cities and make islands sink beneath the waves. The Greeks called him the Earth Shaker, And they went to a lot of trouble just to keep him happy. Because no matter where you were, whether you were on land or at sea, you really didn't want Poseidon mad at you. Fortunately, Poseidon was usually calm. His mood reflected the Mediterranean Sea, where he lived. And most of the time, the Mediterranean was smooth sailing. Poseidon would let the ships travel wherever they wanted. He'd bless fishermen with good catches, he'd chill on the beach, sip his umbrella drink from a coconut shell, and not sweat the small stuff. On nice days, Poseidon would ride his golden chariot across the waves, pulled by a team of white hippocampi, which were horses with golden manes, bronze hooves, and fish tails. Everywhere he went, the sea creatures would come out and play around his chariot. So you'd see sharks and killer whales and giant squids all frolicking together, gurgling, Hooray! Poseidon is in the house! Or something like that. But sometimes the sea got very angry, and Poseidon was the exact same way. When that happened, he was a totally different guy. If you were a ship's captain and you forgot to sacrifice to Poseidon before you set sail, you were a major, major derp. Poseidon liked at least one bull sacrificed in his honor per ship. Don't ask me why. Maybe at one point Poseidon had told the Greeks, Just pour me a Red Bull and we'll call it even. And the Greeks thought he wanted an actual Red Bull. If you forgot to sacrifice, there was a good chance your ship would get smashed on the rocks, or eaten by a sea monster, or captured by pirates with a really bad personal hygiene. Even if you never traveled by sea, that didn't mean you were safe. If your town somehow offended Poseidon, Well, say hello to Hurricane Derp. Still, Poseidon kept it together most of the time. He tried to follow Zeus's orders, though Zeus annoyed him constantly. Whenever those two started arguing, 
The other gods buckled their seatbelts because a fight between the sky and the sea could rip the world apart. Mother Ray must have sensed the tension early on. Shortly after the gods took over the world, she suggested that Poseidon get out of Olympus and explore his new domain. She sent him to live on the ocean floor with a tribe of aquatic weirdos called the Telkines. Now this was a strange suggestion, since the Telkines were twisted little dudes. They'd once been land dwellers until they did something to anger Zeus. So he tossed the worst ones into Tartarus and exiled the rest to the bottom of the sea. I'm honestly not really sure what they did, but the Telkines were known for sorcery and crafting dangerous stuff. They could summon sleet, rain, or even snow, which you really don't get in Greece, and call down sulfurous rain that destroyed plants and burned flesh, which was really kind of cool, but in a really gross and smelly kind of way. Some stories say that the Telkines invented metalworking and even made Kronos sigh that Gaia's request. Could be true. They were greedy and would do anything for the right price. After Zeus threw them into the ocean, their forms changed so that they looked like a cross between dogs, seals, and humans with canine faces. Stunted little legs and half-flipper hands that were nimble enough for metalwork, but still made great ping-pong paddles. When Poseidon came to live with them, the Telkines showed him around and taught him the ways of the ocean. Those are fish. This is coral. One especially nasty trick they taught him was how to use his trident as a lever. Poseidon learned how to wedge the trident's points under the base of an island and flip it so that the whole landmass disappeared under the sea. In combat, he could do this with mountains on dry land. A couple of times he flipped mountains right on top of his enemies, crushing them flat. See, I told you he was a boss. Eventually, Poseidon got tired of the Telkines and decided to build his own palace. Good move, Aquaman. He went to the bottom of the Aegean Sea and used his earth-shaking, wave-making powers to raise a big mansion made out of pearl, sea stone, and abalone shell. His gardens were full of exotic sea plants, with luminescent jellyfish drifting around like Christmas lights. He had great white sharks for guard dogs and mermen for servants, and his doorways were huge because every once in a while, the whales and sea monsters would float through to pay their respects. If you ask me, Poseidon's crib was way cooler than Hades or Zeus's, and when Poseidon was sitting on his polished coral throne, he felt pretty good about himself. The entire sea was under his control. The fish adored him. All the sailors in the Mediterranean made offerings to him and prayed for safe passage. Everybody seemed to love him. Sir Poseidon thought, hey, I should go up top and offer to be the patron for one of the mortal cities. As I mentioned earlier, this was kind of a big deal for gods. The more mortals who prayed to you, the stronger you got. If you could get a whole city dedicated to you with statues, temples, souvenir t-shirts, and all the tourist shops. That was the ultimate in bragging rights. Poseidon decided to try for the capital of Attica on the Greek mainland, which was one of the biggest and most important cities in Greece. Go big or go home, am I right? Unfortunately, Athena, who is the goddess of wisdom, had the same bright idea. She showed up seconds before with the same offer of city patronage. Ah, well, this is awkward, Poseidon said. He wasn't too keen on this upstart goddess, this 
second generation Olympian trying to steal his idea. All the city officials looked back and forth between the two gods, and I really can't blame them for being nervous. No matter which god you picked, one of them was bound to get upset and wreak chaos on the whole city. Luckily, Athena came up with a solution. They would have a contest to create gifts for the city, and whomever gave the most valuable gift would be the city's patron. Poseidon went first. He wasn't really sure what would be a valuable gift to these mortals. He had to think fast. Perhaps a form of animal? Something strong and fast, but adapted to land. Poseidon pointed his trident, and waves began taking shape. When they reached the shore, they became majestic animals with four long legs and flowing manes. They ran straight onto the beach, whinnying and prancing. I call them horses, Poseidon shouted. They're fast and strong. You can ride them anywhere. They carry heavy stuff, pull plows or wagons. You can even ride them into war and trample your enemies. Plus, they just look really cool. The mortals murmured and clapped politely. Horses were obviously a valuable gift, though a few of the townspeople looked disappointed. Like, maybe they'd been hoping for something a little bit more. Everyone turned to Athena. The goddess raised her hand. A sickly-looking shrub broke through the nearby rocks. It had gray-green leaves and green knobby fruits the size of warts. Poseidon couldn't help but laugh. What the spoon is that? It's an olive tree, Athena said. The mortals shifted uneasily. The olive tree didn't look very impressive, but nobody wanted to say that to Athena. Poseidon chuckled. Okay, well, nice try. I guess we know who won this contest. Not so fast, Athena said. The olive tree may not look like much, but you can grow it with very minimal effort. It will spread across the countryside until olives are the most important food in Greece. <laughs> Those knobby black things, Poseidon protested. <laughs> They're tiny. But they will grow by the thousands, Athena said. And they're tasty. The mortals of this city will export olives across the world and become rich. You can use olive oil for cooking and lighting lamps. You can even add perfume to the oil and use it for bathing or moisturizing or cleaning those hard-to-get stains out of your kitchen counters. She turned to the crowd of mortals. How much would you pay for it now? But don't answer. It's my gift to you, free of charge. And if you order today... You'll also get my patronage for your city, which includes tons of wisdom, advice about warfare, and all sorts of helpful crafts. You will be the richest and most important city in Greece. All I ask is that you name your city after me and build me a temple, which can be done in three easy installments. Poseidon's confidence was starting to crumble. But, but wait, my, my horses. The mortals were no longer listening. They were much more interested in making money, and while the countryside around their city was great for growing olives, it was too hilly and rocky for horses to be much use. It was kind of ironic. The people of the city would eventually become famous sea traders, exporting their olive oil, but they turned down the sea god Poseidon's patronage. He might have done better if he'd offered them trained whales. So Athena won the contest, and that's why the city is named Athens, after her when it could have been named something like Poseidonopolis. 
Poseidon stormed off. Literally. He forgot his promise not to take revenge and almost destroyed the lower part of the city with a huge flood until finally the Athenians agreed to build a temple on the Acropolis honoring both Athena and Poseidon. The temple is still there. If you go, you can see the marks left by Poseidon's trident where he struck the rock to make the salt water spring. There are probably still olive trees around too, but I highly doubt you'll see any horses. After that, Poseidon got a little obsessed with finding a city to sponsor, but he didn't have any luck. He fought with Hera for the city of Argos. Hera won. He fought with Zeus for the island of Aegina. Zeus won. He fought with Helios for the city of Corinth, and almost won. But Zeus said, no, you guys split it. Helios, you can have the main city and the Acropolis. Poseidon, you see that skinny little strip of land next to the city? You can have that. Poseidon just kept getting shafted, or lightning bolted, or olive treed. The more times it happened, the crankier he got. This was particularly bad, because when Poseidon got touchy, he was more likely to punish whoever he thought was insulting him. For instance, he was very proud of these 50 sea spirits called the Nereids, whose beauty was known throughout the world. They had long, flowing hair, as dark as midnight, sea-green eyes, and gossamer white dresses that billowed around them in the water. Everyone knew they were absolute knockouts, and having them in his domain was something that delighted Poseidon. Kind of like living in a town with a championship football team. Anyway, this mortal queen named Cassiopeia down in North Africa, well, she started bragging about how she was way more beautiful than the Nereids. Poseidon had no patience for that nonsense. He summoned up a flesh-eating, blood-drinking sea serpent, about a thousand feet long, with a mouth that could swallow a mountain, and he sent it to terrorize the coast of Africa. The monster raged up and down, devouring ships and making waves that sank villages, and bellowing so loudly that no one could get any sleep. Finally, to stop the attacks, Cassiopeia agreed to sacrifice her own daughter, Andromeda, to the sea monster. Kind of messed up. Like, oh yeah, my bad. I shouldn't have bragged. Here, you can kill my innocent daughter. In case you're worried, no, Poseidon didn't actually let that happen. He allowed a hero to rescue Andromeda and kill the sea monster. Which is a whole other story. But even after Cassiopeia died, Poseidon never forgot her insult. He put her in the night sky as a constellation, and because she had lied about being more beautiful than the Nereids, she always appeared to be spinning backward. She's a really rather weird-looking constellation, too. Bun Bun Storytime is brought to you in part by Radio Public. Radio Public is free, easy to use, and helps listeners like you find and support shows like mine. When you listen to my show on Radio Public, everyone benefits. So, one of my favorite stories about Poseidon, and it's a real tearjerker, how he almost took over the universe, but instead ended up as a minimum wage bricklayer, happened like this. Hera got it in her head that the gods should have a rebellion against Zeus. I can't blame her, really. Zeus could be a total butt wipe. 
She decided the universe would be in much better shape if it were run by the whole Olympian council like a democracy. So she gathered some of the other gods, Poseidon, Athena, and Apollo, the god of archery, and she told them her plan. We tie Zeus up, Hera said. Poseidon frowned. That's your plan? Hey, I sleep in the same room with him, Hera said. When he's in a deep sleep, snoring really loudly, I'll call you guys in. We bind him tight. Then we force him to give up his throne so we can rule the cosmos together, as a council of equals. The others looked uncertain, but they all had reasons to dislike Zeus. He was erratic and quick to anger, and his weakness for pretty women had caused them all headaches. Besides, each of the gods were really secretly thinking, Hey, I could rule the universe better than Zeus. Once he's gone, I could take over. Poseidon was definitely tempted. Why not? With his big brother tied up, he would be the strongest god in all the world. A council of equals, Poseidon said. Sure, I like it. Right. Athena glanced suspiciously at Poseidon. A council. Great, Hera said. Get some strong rope, the magical, self-adjusting kind. Where can you buy that? Apollo wondered. Home Depot? I've got some, Athena said. Of course you do, Poseidon muttered. Enough, Hera snapped. Tonight, the three of you will hide in the hallway and wait for my signal. When Zeus is asleep, I will call like a cuckoo. Poseidon wasn't sure what a cuckoo sounded like, but he figured he'd know it when he heard it. That night, Hera made sure Zeus ate a heavy dinner and drank only decaffeinated nectar. When he was fast asleep, she called for the others. They rushed in and tied up the king of the gods. Hoof! Zeus snorted. What, what is this? He began to struggle. He tried to reach his lightning bolts, but his arms were tied fast. His bolts were on the dresser on the other side of the room. Treason! He roared. Let me go! He thrashed and tried to change form to get free of the rope, but the rope tightened every time he attempted to shapeshift. He yelled at the other gods and called them all sorts of unflattering names. What do you want? He demanded. Even completely bound, Zeus was scary. The gods backed away from the bed. At last, Poseidon mustered his courage. Zeus, you're a bad leader. We want you to abdicate, so we can all rule the cosmos as a council of equals. What? Zeus shouted. Never! Hera sighed in exasperation. Fine. We don't need you. We'll convene the council ourselves and leave you here to rot. Why, you traitorous little... Let's go, Hera told the others. We'll check on him in a few days and see if he's come to his senses. Poseidon wasn't sure it was a good idea leaving Zeus unguarded, but he also didn't want to stay in the room with a screaming lightning god. The gods adjourned to the throne room and held their very first, and unfortunately very last, meeting of the People's Republic of Olympus. They quickly found that voting on everything was messy. It took a long time. Just deciding on a design for the new Olympian flag took hours. Meanwhile, a Nereid named Thetis was strolling down the hall near Zeus's bedroom. I'm not really sure what a sea nymph was doing on Olympus, 
Maybe she was just visiting friends. I'm really not sure. She had no idea what was going on with the rebellion. But when she heard Zeus yelling for help, she bust into his bedroom, saw him tied up, and said, Um, is this a bad time? Thetis, thank the fates, Zeus cried. Get me out of here! He quickly told her what the other gods had done. Please, he pleaded. You're a sensible sea nymph. Let me out, and I'll really owe you one. Thetis gulped. If Poseidon was part of the rebellion... Well, he was the lord of the sea, and therefore was her boss. But Zeus was lord of everything. No matter what she did, she was going to make a powerful enemy. If I let you out, that is said, promise me you'll be merciful to the other gods. Merciful? Just don't throw them into Tartarus or chop them into tiny pieces, okay? Zeus fumed, but he reluctantly promised to be merciful. Thetis grabbed some scissors from the dresser and tried to cut the ropes, but she had no luck. The magical bonds were just way too strong. Blast them with my lightning, Zeus said. Wait, wait, no, no, I'm in the ropes. On second thought, don't blast them. Hang on, Thetis said. I know someone who might be able to help. She turned into a cloud of salty water vapor and sped into the sea, where she found Briers, the hundred-handed one. Briers owed Zeus for letting him out of Tartarus, so he was happy to help. Somehow, Thetis managed to smuggle the big dude into Olympus without the gods noticing, and with his hundred dexterous hands, Briers quickly untied the magical ropes. Zeus sprang out of bed, grabbed his lightning bolts, and marched into the throne room, where the other gods were still trying to design their new flag. Boom! Zeus floored further discussion, along with all the other gods. When he was done blowing things up and using the Olympians for target practice, he punished the rebels for their treason. He kept his promise to Thetis. He didn't chop the gods into tiny pieces or throw them into Tartarus. But he tied Hera up and suspended her on a rope over the abyss of chaos so she could contemplate what it would be like to drop into nothingness and be dissolved. Every day, Zeus would visit her with his lightning bolt in hand and say, Yep, today might be a good day to bless that rope and watch you fall. That's the sort of loving relationship they had. Hera eventually got free, but we'll get to that story later. As for Athena, she got off with no punishment. Totally unfair, right? But Athena was a quick talker. She probably convinced Zeus that she had nothing to do with the plot, and she was just biding her time before she could set Zeus free. And like an idiot, Zeus believed her. Apollo and Poseidon got the worst punishments. They were temporarily stripped of their immortal powers. I didn't even know Zeus could do stuff like that, but apparently he could. To teach the two former gods a lesson, Zeus made them work as laborers for the king of Troy, a dude named Laomedon. Apollo became a shepherd and watched the royal flocks. Poseidon had to single-handedly build new walls around the city. Are you kidding me? Poseidon protested. That'll take years. King Laomedon smiled. Yes, well, I promise to reward you for your hard work, but you'd better get started. In actuality, Laomedon had no intention of paying Poseidon. He didn't like the sea god. He just wanted to get as much free work as possible out of Poseidon for as long as possible. 
since Poseidon didn't have a choice, he set to work. Even without his godly powers, Poseidon was still pretty awesome. He was stronger than any mortal and could carry five or six massive blocks of stone at a time. The project took him years, but he finally constructed the mightiest of walls any mortal city had ever had, making Troy nearly invincible. At last, tired, sore, and very irritated, Poseidon marched into King Laomedon's throne room. Finished, Poseidon announced. With what? Laomedon looked up from the book he was reading. It had been so many years, he'd totally forgotten about Poseidon. Oh, right, the walls. Yes, they look great. You can go now. Poseidon blinked. But my reward. That is your reward. You can go. I'll let Zeus know you fulfilled your oath, and he'll make you a god again. What better reward could there be? Poseidon growled. I made your city the strongest on earth. I built walls that will withstand any army. You promised me compensation, and now you won't pay? Are you still here? Laomedon asked. Poseidon stormed out of the throne room. Zeus made him a god again, but Poseidon never forgot how Laomedon had insulted him. He couldn't just destroy Troy outright. Zeus forbade it. But Poseidon did send a sea monster to terrorize the Trojans. He also made a point of sinking Trojan ships whenever he got the chance. And when a little event called the Trojan War came along, well, Poseidon was not on the side of Troy. And that's Poseidon, folks. A calm, easygoing dude most of the time. But if you made him angry, he had a long, long memory. The only god who held longer crushes? Yeah, you guessed it. Old Thunderpants himself. I suppose we've put him off long enough. It's time we talk about Zeus.